This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are on the planet. My guest today is Maud Vinay. She's the co-founder and CEO of Quabli. Maud has been a researcher in advanced semiconductor technology for over 25 years. She received her PhD in quantum physics from Université Grenoble-Alps. She then transitioned to the semiconductor industry and joined CEA Letty as an integration and device researcher to develop CMOS technologies. In this role, she spent four years with IBM in the United States developing an advanced transistor technology, FDSOI, in an alliance between ST, IBM, and Global Foundries. In 2013, Maud returned to France to lead research team working on using transistors to fabricate qubits, and in 2019 became head of the quantum computing program in CEA Letty in Grenoble. Dr. Vinay has authored or co-authored about 300 papers. She owns more than 70 patents related to nanotechnology, and her Google H index is 57 with more than 11,000 citations. She's also a knight of the French Legion of Honor. Her company, Quabli, formerly Sequence, was founded in 2022 and is a spin-off of the CEA, a major RTO, and CNRS, which is a leading center for academic research. The company is developing a silicon spin qubit technology based on over two decades working in partnership with these research organizations. In simple terms, their work has led to a major advance, turning transistors into quality quantum bits. Quabli's approach is to leverage proven European semiconductor industry technologies, processes, and manufacturing capacities to develop and commercialize a universal large-scale quantum computer. Her company is based in Grenoble, France, and has 17 employees. So welcome, Maud, and thanks for joining me. Hi, Chris. I'm glad you're here. I always want to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their quantum journey. Um, And my objective is twofold, to give our audience a sense of what your various roles were before you uh, co-founded Quabli, but also to orient our listeners more broadly to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So if you'd please share a bit about your background and your path so far, where you grew up, what you focused on maybe at university, insight into any companies or organizations where you worked or did research. Uh, Actually, I grew up in the west part of France, in Nantes, and I used to be a very curious kid. I used to break my my games to see how to understand how they work, and I used to play basketball. And those two used to are really now uh, shaping my uh, professional life, and I will tell you why. Uh, and then uh, I, I went to the university. Actually, I loved uh, ski and uh, I loved engineering and I loved physics. And in Grenoble, I could have the three of them at the same time. So I um, went for my French engineering school um, to Grenoble. And I spent uh, two years, uh, three years, sorry, after college uh, working on physics for engineers, applied physics. It was a high-level engineering school in France, which does physics and how you use physics. That was fun. And when I was not studying, I was on the ski slots. 
having fun with my friends. Yeah, and then uh, I, after my engineering, during my uh, engineering school, I met uh, uh, professors and those professors were doing research. And it was like, wow, that's fun. They are pushing the boundaries of the knowledge and uh, uh, I'm very when I'm very much interested in that because I don't like routine. I I I can't do twice the same thing. So I was like, okay, I want to do a PhD. So I did a PhD in quantum physics, and uh, that was uh, end of uh, last century and uh, well, or early early twentieth century, and then. Uh, After my PhD in quantum physics, uh, I wanted to belong to a broader team than than just doing basic research. And that was the time where the semiconductor industry were looking for physicists. Uh, They were looking for physicists to help uh, continuing Moore's law. So uh, I joined the semiconductor industry and that was the beginning of fun. Uh, once again, I was doing physics and leveraging my physics background to uh, propose solutions to scale up, uh, to, to scale down, sorry, this, the, um, the dimension of the transistors. So in this organization, I worked with CA and then I went to IBM, as you said, and that was a lot of fun to see how actual technologies for the CMOS uh, industry are developed. Um, it was a, a place where I studied the decision-making process, uh, where I was always balanced between uh, physics and, and technology. And that means, okay, I can do uh, with that amount of physics, I can actually do that performance, but versus not pragmatic from a technology perspective. And I was always this balance of what brings some value to my to my device. And that's that's what I'm using. And now that's what I'm using in my everyday life. I'm using my physics background, my technology background, and the basketball background comes in uh, because we are playing in a team. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing. So let's talk about starting a company. Obviously, you, so working at IBM, I worked at IBM actually for 15 years myself. So a sense of how a big global company works is very different, I would guess, right, than a research organization. So wondering what the trigger was maybe that led you and your co-founder, Tristan, to start the company. Like, was there an aha moment, maybe conversation in a coffee shop or in a bistro? And, you know, why would you (laughs) want to step away from, uh, you know, a, re- a fairly, you know, comfortable, I imagine, research organization to jump into starting a company and putting all that together? Well, it's a story. Actually, actually I think it's a process. Um, Tristan, Francois, and I, my, uh, my two co-founders and me, we are doers. We are doers and we are explorers. So... Uh, as you said, well, actually, the conversation didn't take place in a coffee shop, but rather in a bistro. It was around the beer. And uh, and what happened is that uh, the three of us, at one point, we realized that we've got a potential. Uh, Tristan had been more working for years in quantum engineering with three fives, and he was uh, actually manipulating uh, spins in free phase, but it was quite limited in terms of coherence time due to the hyperfine 
uh, coupling. So he had, he was facing uh, technological limits. On my side, I was developing silicon technologies for the semiconductor industry. And at the beginning, there was um, a third uh, gal, a third guy in the team, uh, that was Silvano De Franceschi, uh, who was studying charge and spin properties. And Tristan, Silvano, and I were like, oh, wait, uh, you know how to do quantum engineering. I know how to fabricate uh, stuff with silicon. And Silvano, you know how to manipulate charge and spin properties. Well, the three of us, we could actually... Uh, proposed solutions for doing silicon quantum bits with actual industrial technologies. That's what we did. Uh, we started working together. We made this worldwide first in 2016. And in 2018, we proposed an um, ambitious project at the European Research Council where we told, uh, we told them, uh, listen, we think we can propose a project where we are going to tackle the scientific challenges uh, on the way to large-scale quantum computing based on, sil on silicon. And that was the beginning of, okay, we actually have this potential. And uh, with then Francois joined the team and Francois, uh, Tristan and I, uh, we, our DNA is to work for the industry, to turn research into innovation. When Francois came to us uh, with a question which was, hey, uh, when do you think there will be a link between design and applications? We told him, hey, you join the team and we're going to build a company. Let's do this for real. This, let's make this potential real. And that's an inspiring story, bringing people together with unique expertise and experience to make a, a team that can take it, as you say, from research to industry, real-world applications. Now, thank you for sharing that. Uh, quick sidebar, I don't, I don't want to belabor it, but the name of the company, I have to ask you about the name, right? Quabli. So I read that it's an interesting story, and it's tied to some degree to the history of scientific endeavors in Grenoble. So can you just give our listeners a quick background and how you came up with the name. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, again, this is really tied to our story from coming from Grenoble. Our startup was span off from the CIA Leti uh, and the CNRS. Both of these institutions had worked over 15 years on quantum computing. And when we span out from the two labs, I was actually the head of the quantum computing uh, at Leti. Tristan was the head of the quantum research team at CNRS. And, and we realized how important uh, the history behind our project is. This is really technology and uh, basic science. And maybe uh, a few words of, about Grenoble. Grenoble uh, is this a cutting edge city where uh, semiconductors in the semiconductor industry is very vivid. So we, we started from COBLI, which stands for quantum and Grenoble. And we took the end of Grenoble. So we've got the beginning of quantum and the end of Grenoble, the oval. And then uh, we said, okay, this, this world will say this, Name will be said in French and in English, so let's make it stable. And we added the Y, so it meant it, it's, it ends up in Kabli. 
and and the why is a private joke from from for grownable people because we've got two rivers and uh, they are shaped like a Y. It's Sorry. a memorable name for sure. <laughs> we are proud of our name and and Kobli's hindsight is really 2020. We're coming from research that has been game changing in in semiconductor in the past. And this is what we intend to do again in the realm of quantum computing. And yeah. um, this is why we wanted our name to be a banner of our history. Yeah. So, Maud, let, let's talk about the technology. I want to ask you to share with our listeners, you know, more about how Quabli uses the fully depleted silicon insulator, FDSOI, right, is the acronym. How you use that approach to bridge the gap between transistors and qubits. Um, this approach I read lets you design arrays of qubits with control electronics on the same substrate as the packaging so it can fit into the cryostat. Um, tell me about the advantages of this co-integration of quantum devices and control electronics and how this FDSOI technology works. Well, the obvious advantage, the big advantage of our approach is scalability. Scalability and at cost, at, at, with a cost efficiency. Currently, uh, quantum computing has to find its path towards large number of qubits. And this is what we bring. We bring a solution uh, to go to large scale and to build millions of, of qubits. We actually leverage uh, the semiconductor industry the same way integrated circuits allow for implementation of complex functions and algorithms, integrated cryoelectronics allows for energy-efficient control of thousands or to, come, or to come millions and billions of qubits. What matters a lot is that you can fit actually a million of qubits in a 40 um, square millime millimeter square uh, Area. So this is really something at cost. We're using the some kind of engineered cryostat, but we don't build very big cryostat. We assemble uh, technologies that have already uh, proven doable, and this is really what makes the the semiconductor approach uh, scalable. And you're able to le le leverage the fabs in Grenoble to do this work for you or with you. Uh, we are we are working with all the fabs uh, doing FDSOI, and uh, historically uh, the fabs in Grenoble. We are talking about ST Microelectronics and and Cytec for the substrate. Um, the, we they have been uh, supporting the developments for years. Um, we're also working with Global Foundries uh, in Dresden in Malta um, for the. Uh, FDSOI substrate, they've got very interesting technologies to allow for this co-integration of cryoelectronics and qubits. In July of this year, Mode, the European Innovation Council approved a 2.5 million euro transition funding for Quabli to build on the advances that were made during a project called the Quantum Flagship, right? The Q Quantum Large-Scale Integration in Silicon, QLSI. Um, you also received a 19 million euro seed round to accelerate development of these fault-tolerant quantum computing processors. So what exactly are you building now, and what's the roadmap for, say, the next three to five, even 10 years? It's funny that you bring, it, you bring up the numbers. We're actually very proud 
uh, of uh, the point that you made that these 19 million seed round uh, that was that we closed in July was actually the largest fundraising seed round for quantum startup in Europe. Wow! Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, we're quite proud of this. Yeah. But we we believe us because the market, the, the current market, has an appetite uh, for scaling solutions uh, for quantum computing and for teams that are technologically ambitious, but at the same time realistic and pragmatic from an industrial perspective. Currently, uh, we've got a very ambitious technological roadmap with uh, this industrial path, and it's backed up by our scientific and technology achievements. For us, the difference of making a 1,000 qubits or a million qubits is, is, uh, will not change a lot the, the process of our qubits. So, uh, that means that in the very short term, our priority is, is really on getting our process locked down. And to do that, we expect to work with major industry partners. So for the coming years, uh, that our energy is really going towards setting up our industrial ecosystem. And of course, there will be another fundraising around uh, on the horizon of three years so that everything that we will have put together brings us to uh, thousands of qubits and then to millions of qubits. And yeah. in 10 years from now, we do see us with 100 logical qubits. Very exciting. So I want to go come back to the sort of topic of partners. So since your technology is, you know, quite different, uh, I want to learn more about the ecosystem and partner network that you've developed to deliver these solutions, right? Uh, worth mentioning, I see you worked with Global Foundries, spent five months in Malta. I grew up in Glens Falls, near there, actually. It's a beautiful part of the world. But wondering, you know, how are you working with other suppliers of, say, cryo control devices, wires and connectors, cryostats, substrates, packaging? Can you share with our listeners a little bit about who these various partners are and how they're contributing? And I, I must admit that I'm kind of jealous that you grew up in, in Glen Falls. I love my time in New York State. The cold winter with cross-country ski on the state park was really great. Um, now to answer your questions, um, our partners, they, they include an international array of suppliers, equipment makers, and chip manufacturers. We also are very lucky to have many partners uh, locally, uh, we are at the height of their field in terms of cryogenic. We're thinking, for instance, of absolute system of air liquid of cryocontact. And uh, in the realm of cryoconnectors, uh, we are also, um, and wires, we've got a very vivid French ecosystem uh, working with ra radial. ATEM, which are um, as French SMEs, and uh, we have some engineering uh, projects with them to develop components that will uh, fit in our systems. There is something that is um, that is very important: is that our French ecosystem is leader in many of these highly technical fields. So we rub 
elbows on a weekly basis with uh, some of our part partners. It's 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 really fruitful collaborations. Great that there there's so many local resources you can leverage, right? Actually, that is uh, kind of. In the trajectory of our previous career, we are leveraging partnership that we have built over the years. Uh, the relationship that we are leveraging currently, uh, they were they were already in place uh, when I was in the semiconductor industry, when Tristan was in his, was a researcher at CNRS. And we are building on more than 10 years of intense collaboration, uh, fruitful collaboration. So our partners now are willing to support. And there is a strong technological and scientific credibility in the team uh, that provide big momentum. Maybe uh, to point out that there is one component, one just ingredient in the supply chain that is very tricky to procure, uh, which is the Silicon 28. And uh, we have, for the moment, we've been quite dependent on outside countries to supply with uh, Silicon 28. Our Actually, our first Silicon 28 came from uh, Russia from from Russia and the scientific Russian uh, chemists that provided the silicon 28 were really deep and passionate about uh, looking on how to uh, what we were going to do of their silicon 28 and nickelly uh, doesn't work anymore and um, we are lucky enough that in France there is a nuclear industry and actually uh, we spent some time uh, working with Orano and they recently uh, opened their Silicon 28 line and uh, we were blown away by their commitment to the development of new products for the need of the quantum industry. I'm glad to hear that you've been able to source the material you need. Mode, my listeners are always interested in the perennial question, which is clients, right? So I read that Quabli systems will be deployed as computational accelerators in HPC centers, those kinds of settings, um, and that current end users include Airbus, EDF, Total, and Talus. Can you share with our listeners any details on the kinds of projects or solutions that you're developing with these clients? Sure, we can discuss about uh, these, client, these clients. But uh, I've got just to step back a little bit. Uh, currently, I told you uh, we're aiming in 10 years from now at 100 logical qubits. While I do believe that this is very important to listen to clients, at the same time, there is something at stake which not to overpromise and then fail in delivering. So the relationship we are, we are entertaining with uh, the and user customers is to understand what are their needs, uh, what are their limits, and what they could do with logical qubits. Uh, we are currently officially collaborating with Eviden. Eviden is, uh, was previously Atos, and they have developed uh, a remote access framework, and we are working with Eviden to for them to provide remote access to our QPUs. And so we take advantage of their 
digital uh, simulator to simulate specific noise on the silicon spin qubits uh, in their digital emulator Captiva. To wrap it up in a sentence, what is at stake for us currently is to understand the limitations of the final uh, customers and at the same time to enable the software ecosystem that will allow us to access them uh, when the machines are ready. What is really at stake currently is to build the whole ecosystem and by, by talking with all the partners along the chain, we identify what needs to be in place for us to be able to deliver our machines. Because if we were delivering 1 million qubit machines, nobody would know how to use it. So there is something at stake, which is actually to build this ecosystem. And that's currently what we're doing. So I want to ask a more technical question around preferred languages or libraries for your specific qubit modality, again, because it's such a unique approach. I mean, are there uh, you know, SDKs or APIs or languages like Python or Qiskit or Q-sharp or, uh, that you favor that work best with your solution? No, that's, that's a very interesting question, uh, Chris. And, and this is something that the teams give deep, thorough thoughts and, and to this question. And for the moment, our approach is that we have given a quite a bit more attention to the hardware aspects of our computer. And regarding software and SDKs, our goal is compatibility. Uh, Quizkit is uh, 70%, is used by 70% of quantum programmers. And so, of course, we're making sure that we will be compatible with Quesket, but not, we don't want to be exclusive. So we call all the people with uh, providing the languages and the libraries, and we make sure that we are compatible with most SDKs. So, Mode, as one of the handful of women in CEO positions at quantum companies, and bravo to you. Um, <laughs> Is there any advice you would give to other women who want to get involved in science-driven businesses more broadly and maybe quantum information science specifically? I think your input would be very valuable to our listeners. Well, Chris, you know, I, I think I, I would advise not only to women, but to all of us uh, to be driven by, by passion and to cultivate their ranks and not to worry too much about gender or race or whatsoever. And what I like in science is that what matters is, is what you think and not who you are and, and where you're coming from. Uh, I think that's, that's a real chance in science. So we, we've got to leverage that, that chance. And that being said, in Kobli, uh, we have women on our technical teams, on our management teams, and on our scientific advisory board. This is really at all levels. Uh, and we try to make it fun in Kobli. And when I say fun, let's say we try to make it an enjoyable place to work uh, so that you can, even if you're a woman and, and no matter who you are and no matter what are your personal constraints, you can work from home. Uh, we have managed to have some extra days off to make sure that our employees can have a personal uh, work 
life balance. That's that's what we do to make sure that we can gather uh, and and leverage our employees' strength. And when they join to when they choose to join COVIDly, they can do it uh, with every, all the passion they have, and that the everyday life is not in the way of them expressing all their power. Well, thank you. Well, it's great to hear that we have women working in important roles at the company. Uh, bravo and kudos to you. For, we're all working toward gender parity. We know it's an issue for sure in tech and, and in quantum specifically. I want to turn to a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is around workforce. So I want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like Quabbly and finding talent. Like, how do you go about recruiting for your company? Do you have affiliations with the universities and wondering if there are roles in specific disciplines harder to fill than others, and even you know, wondering about non-science-oriented skills like marketing, PR, UX design, business development. So how do you go about it? Well, uh, you're certainly right, uh, Chris. Recruiting is hard, but I would say that so far it's not so hard. Uh, I do believe that quantum computing is one of the technologies that is such a disruption that people want to join and they they feel like uh, they are on an adventure. And this is what we experience in Cobley. Uh, the team is great, passionate, and there is no need for long speeches to have people come on, come on board. I would say that uh, we also uh, benefit from the fact that we have affiliations with CA and CNRS still, and they provide a trained workforce to join the company. And I would say that all in one, uh, we're always looking for uh, quantum physicists who are interested by engineering or by engineers who are very curious and interested by physics. And uh, we're quite, and, and uh, you were mentioning uh, PR and marketing. And I do believe that uh, this is, people are joining for the same reasons. They want to be part of making this happen. And uh, this is what people in the company feel, feel, feel like. They, they are, feel like they are shaping the future. So, Mode, we've come to the end of the podcast. I always like to close by asking, um, my guest to share a perspective on you know where quantum computing might be in three to five to ten years and ask you to look into your crystal ball or wax philosophic and share with our listeners what kind of impact you think it's going to have you know on how we live and work hey Chris that's a tough question <laughs> I know <laughs> I always want to hear a personal perspective I mean I think it's as you say it's an exciting adventure that we're all kind of taking part in so where do you think we'll be in 10 years? The reason why we are in is because we we want to make it happen. So in 10 years from now, what we're aiming at is that quantum computing will impact our daily lives. And maybe without knowing, but uh, whether it's for, it's for low temperature catalyst for um, ammonia or for traffic optimization or for drug design or for energy distribution, I, I strongly hope that uh, we will participate to build a better digital future. Yes. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoyed our conversation, Mode. It's delight speaking with you. 
and uh, look forward to following Quabli and your great progress. Thank you, Chris. You're very welcome. That was for sharing uh, my thoughts with you as well. So I want to invite people to follow you and the company on LinkedIn. Uh, point people to the website. It's quabli.io. And just thank you, Maud, for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on your social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Maud. Listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already. And please connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.